My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Salah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he'll sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Those are verses 4 to 8 and 22 and 23 of Psalm 55, which is the psalm appointed for today, Saturday, September the 12th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're, we're looking, continuing a look at the life of Elijah. Uh, in First Kings eighteen forty one through uh, chapter nineteen verse eight, we are in finishing up the uh, epistle to the Philippians, starting with uh, chapter three verse seventeen and going through uh, chapter four verse seven, and then we're in the Gospel of Matthew still, chapter three verses thirteen to seventeen. <clears throat> so the the point of reading those portions of the psalm today. Um, are, are to reflect certain truths, right? So those truths um, are stated here in the in the Elijah passage uh, is one of the main things. But it, but the the way to walk in the spirit is sort of the, is also in that, and and that's going to be expressed in Paul's uh, epistle today as well. That that the desire to flee versus the desire to stay and fight are are the things that that we we struggle with this fight or flight thing. And so this, that, those are expressed in that, that part of the psalm that, that I read. And the, the rest of that psalm, what it says is, though, that, that, that the enemy that David's talking about there is a friend. Because he says, it's not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. And then he goes on about this whole thing. And it's, it's, if, you, if you've ever experienced betrayal, and I'm, and I'm guessing that if you've lived any period of time at all, you know what betrayal feels like and you know what it looks like. And it, it's a painful thing. And then it, we've got to learn how to deal with that well. We've got to learn how to deal with it in such a way that, that we, uh, even, even in the, the resolution of that, brings about glory to God, that, that even in these situations, they can be used for the glory of God. We can, we can be a great witness in the way that we resolve these kinds of issues. Even betrayal can be forgiven. <clears throat> so here, it has nothing to do with Elijah and Ahab. Ahab has betrayed the Lord. He has betrayed the Lord who made him king in favor of his wife, and he has betrayed the Lord in that way. But he won't betray his wife in any of this. It's It's amazing. His commitment to this woman who is is just evil. So we get this Elijah. After this is after he has slaughtered the prophets of Baal. After they have been on Mount Carmel and the uh, the fire has been called down from heaven. He says to Ahab, "Go and go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the rushing of rain." No, there's not, <laughs> not at that moment. But 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 the prophet hears it. And he knows what's to come. He trusts that the Lord has told him something. So he's hearing something that nobody else is hearing. He knows what God's up to here. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself to the earth and put his face between his knees. He humbled himself. He didn't go up and, and stand and and boldly say, I told you so. No, he, he went up bowed 
down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. It's like Noah sending out the dove to see if the rain has stopped. <clears throat> he, he continues, so you see this man, Elijah, with his face to the ground, his head between his knees, sending his servant out seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, there's a little cloud like a man's hand rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. Head out now. There's going to be rain. And all the servants seen is this little cloud. But, but again, Elijah stands fast in what he knows, in what he has been told by the Lord. He knows that the Lord's going to send rain, and, and he has faith no matter what. So he had faith to call down fire from heaven in that way, and he has faith because God promised that he would send the rain. He has the faith to believe. No matter whether there's actually anything to see or not, he knows and he just keeps sending that servant, look again, look again, look again. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode his chariot and went to Jezreel, where his capital was. And the, listen to this. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab is in a chariot, and Elijah runs before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, Elijah, was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So it's in the southern kingdom, not the northern kingdom, where Ahab's the king. And he left his servant there. That's a hundred miles. From Jezreel to Beersheba is a hundred miles. And so Elijah has run in fear a hundred miles. Fear will drive you further and further and further away all the time. That's what fear will do to you. Why is he fearful of her? Why did he not fear the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah that are, that are there on the mountain that day? Why did he not fear Elijah? Cause he, or why did he not fear Ahab? Because he knew where the power truly was. It's curious why he even ran to Jezreel. But this threat from this woman caused Elijah to run in fear for his life. Because she said, so may the gods do to me. He, he lost his faith in that moment. He, he, th this is a man who always ministered by himself. He had just come through one of the greatest experiences ever known to mankind. And now here he is running. Can you say disciples? Because it's what happened. And especially if you just consider James and John and Peter, who had been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and seen that glorious sight of Moses and Elijah there with him. And Jesus transfigured and the voice from heaven proclaiming that this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And, and so at the, at the height of his success in ministry, this woman, a mere mortal, says something, I'm going to kill you. And he flees. So he leaves his servant there in Beersheba, but he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked what he might, that he might die, saying, It's enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. And you can understand that. 
you can absolutely understand it. He has, he has stood for the Lord before all these people, before the prophets of Baal and the priests of Asherah, and now she wants to kill him. I've been there. I know what it is to be exhausted. I know what it is to be just worn out in ministry. And then he falls asleep, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was his head of cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and he lay down again. The man's exhausted. He is completely beaten. And again, I know this feeling. If you've been in ministry before, if you've had done life before, you'll know what that feels like just to be completely worn out. And he ate and lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mountain of God, which is Jerusalem ultimately, but it's the place where God made the covenant with Abraham uh, with and with the people. It's, it's where um, we believe that's where Abraham took Isaac, and that's what I meant by saying the covenant with Abraham. But but the, it's the covenant with the people is, again, done here at Horeb. And you you can just see this man wandering by himself in the wilderness for 40 days with nothing to eat. He, he is one of three people, Jesus and Moses being the other, who the Bible tells us fasted for 40 days. And so he's not only fasting, he is walking and going to Mount Horeb. Uh, he is reversing the exodus in, in many, many ways here. It, it's a painful thing to see a man of God who is so beaten down by by the service and by the, by the unfaithfulness of the people and by the threats that come against you when you're in ministry sometimes. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable that people can want to destroy you, even the people of God. In, in this passage from Matthew, we're seeing, we're moving through the life of Jesus, and so we come now to the Jordan River. Jesus comes from the Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, and John would have prevented him and kept him from being baptized. Wait, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John sees. He knows. Remember their cousins. Remember their mothers have connection with one another, and so Elizabeth surely had told John about this Jesus, the son of Mary. So he says, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. This is something that has to happen, John. And then John consented, and Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so this is the revelation, the manifestation of Jesus as the the incarnate Son of God. That, That is this is the public manifestation and the public beginning of the ministry that Jesus will walk into and so so it begins with the proclamation from heaven and that proclamation is that this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased so what Jesus has done up to this point including his baptism and remember what John was proclaiming is baptism for repentance of sin but but Jesus goes and this is his first identification with sinners he is identifying with sinners by, by submitting to baptism for the repentance of sin. And so Jesus is washed here in the Jordan River uh, to identify with sinners, of which he is not. He's not a sinner. But just like at the cross, he identifies with sin and personifies sin. On the cross, and God's wrath can be poured out on him. But he is identified with sinners first in his baptism, and in this comes the proclamation that says, "I am well pleased." 
it not only validated this baptism, it validated John's participation in the baptism as well, that John's ministry was also being validated here by the, the voice from heaven and the sign of the dove coming and resting on Jesus. It validates everything that John had been doing. And no matter how many people John had baptized prior to that, this is the sign that all those baptisms were exactly right. It's preparation for the coming of the king, and now the king is here. In the epistle from Philippians, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So, So I'm trying my best, he says, to live according to the Word of God— the Word of God written and the and the inspired Word of God by the Holy Spirit within me that, that impels me to do all that I do. And, and so join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so he's saying, don't just imitate me. Keep your eye on those who walk according to the truth that's been proclaimed to you. And, and so he, he, he's not just saying me, but he's saying there are others as well that you need to be paying attention to. And he says, for many of whom I've told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's speaking particularly of the Epicurean philosophers and the Epicureans among them who who, who believe that the body and soul are separable entities and that the, the body can do anything that it likes to do, as long as you keep the soul pure. I don't know how in the world you'd do that. I haven't read Epicurean philosophy enough to understand how you could possibly make that distinction. But Paul's saying, no, the body and the spirit are one. Don't don't follow those people who's, who, who do with their body whatever they please because they believe that there's no harm in that. He said, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, which, which validates the body and says that the body has value and meaning by the power that enables him to subject even all things to himself. So, so there's, a, there's a distinctively Christian way of living, is what Paul is saying here, and, and it's separate from what the world considers um, high and valuable. He says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then he goes on and makes this—there's some personal thing that he has to deal with here. He he said, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So he knows there's some sort of a quarrel and a difference between these two women. He said, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women— they're, they're important to Paul, but more important than them as individuals is, is them to agree in the Lord. You need the leaders in the church, the, the people of the church, need to agree in the Lord. We can't allow division and distinctions. It's, it's a great, um, horrible witness of the church that there are so many church divisions. Had a great conversation yesterday just out in the woods with a couple, young couple, who are uh, in the Nazarene church. And, and we talked about this very thing. And, and we said, you know, there, there's ways to celebrate the differences. And it's okay that we have multiple congregations and, and some people focus on one thing other than than another thing. But but what has to happen is we have to have charity in all things. And we have to be able to, to see through all the the sort of outward appearances and and look at the heart of the matter and say, are we all raising up Jesus in our own way? 
And that's what he's what's what Paul's saying here. That help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And what he's saying here is, is that word reasonableness, what he's trying to get at is sort of a, not a flexibility, but but it's what I just talked about. It's seeing the heart of the thing and believing the best in a brother and sister. So I'm going to hear you on this, and while my spirit might leap and, and want to object to what you're saying, I have to believe, because you're my brother or sister, and he says, these are two people who have ministered together for a long time. I have to believe the best about what you say. I have to give you the benefit of the doubt so that we can then have a conversation and say, did you mean this? Is this the point that you're trying to make, or, or is there something else here? that we need to deal with, but it's believing the best about a brother and sister in Christ and being willing to, to, to suspend your dogmatic belief on something that, that doesn't necessarily call for a dogmatic belief. It's, it's a suspension of, of that and saying, okay, I'm going to be reasonable about this. And that reasonableness begins with the intention of my heart. It begins with believing that you, the person I love, have good intentions for saying what you're saying. And then we can deal with it. He said, the Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's literally where everything needs to land. It's sort of a recapitulation of Matthew six thirty three, where it where we're told by Jesus not to be anxious about anything, because God knows your needs, and He's got that taken care of. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. It's just that recapitulation, and then he then he says that will bring you peace. If you do that, if you're not anxious but you pray, and ask Him with thanksgiving. Then, then the peace will descend on you and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to finish today with a prayer from this Clement that he mentions here in the, in the letter to the Philippians. Um, Clement is with Paul in Rome, and after Paul and Peter die, he actually becomes the bishop of Rome and becomes an important figure in the church. And so he, he wrote this prayer that, that survived down through the ages for about 2,000 years now. So, so let's look at that real quick. May God, who sees all things and who is the ruler of all spirits and the Lord of all flesh, who chose our Lord Jesus Christ and us through him to be a peculiar people, grant to every soul that calls upon his glorious and holy name faith, fear, peace, patience, long-suffering, self-control, purity, and sobriety to the well-pleasing of his name, through our high priest and protector Jesus Christ, by whom be to him glory and majesty and power and honor.